Hey everybody, thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today we've got Casey Ryan and he drove in from <laughs> Vegas to show he did $2 million last year and more importantly, kept 68% of it, an unheard of number as far as profitability goes. If this is your first time tuning in, I am Steve Trang, founder of the Offer Fast Homes app, the only MLS for off-market wholesale properties, and I help entrepreneurs create businesses that support their family, lifestyle, and goals through mentorship. I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires. If you want to be one of those millionaires, please drop me a message on Instagram at steve.trang. If you're excited for today's show, please give me a wave, give me a thumbs up. And as a friendly reminder, I do not charge a dime for the show. I don't make any money doing this. So here's all I ask. This is what it costs for you to listen to this show. If you get value today, please tell a friend. You can share this episode right now, tag a friend below, or tell me your best takeaway from the show later on. That way we can all grow together. And this is a live show, so please ask your questions for Casey to answer. You ready? Yeah. All right. So first question is what got you into real estate? Great, Steve, you you really got that intro down, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> um, what got me into real estate? So um, I actually come from a, uh, a engineering background. I know there's a few other people in our space that are too. Um, yeah. And uh, is that nerd Jared Vidalis? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so I, I was going to school um, for five years for engineering and finance. And about halfway through, um, my, uh, my brother-in-law introduced it to me. He was doing some flips and, um, and I was kind of doing my own thing too. I was also um, on my entrepreneurial journey myself. And I, I, I started out, I was buying and selling a, a bunch of Jeeps on Craigslist. So like anything I kind of did, I always did just overboard, you know? So right. it started where I just bought one and um, I bought, I would buy them for a couple grand, buy them for two, sell them for four. This is like Panita with the couches. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, yeah. So, um, I wish it was couches. It would have been a lot, I would have been able to do a lot more uh, Jeeps, but, um, so I, I was, uh, buying them for two, selling them for four and I did one of them and I just got the taste for it. I'm like, dang, I just made more than I made at the time I was younger. So, um, I was like more than I made, you know, all month last month or whatever. So. That one turned to four, turned to six, turned to, and got to the point where I was doing like 50 of them a year. And um, I was trying to balance going to school. I was going to college. Um, I was working part-time uh, valet at night. So six to 2 a.m. I'd go to valet. I'd be, at night I'd be looking for Jeeps all the time on Craigslist constantly, set up a bunch of searches. And then the second they'd come in, I'd be blowing people up. It was the same game that we do now, but just, bugging people to get what they have what they have that you want right and uh so i'm going to school doing the jeep thing um working at night and then i spent a summer with my my brother-in-law just kind of learning the ropes because he always saw me out there hustling i saw him doing the same thing he was he was much older than me and i just tagged along a couple houses just drive them every once in a while and that was back in 2013 mm -hmm. and so i spent a uh a kind of a summer just learn interning i guess just kind of playing around just figuring out seeing how how the paperwork side works of everything so i did that um i found my first deal back then but um it it, it wasn't uh as attractive to me at the time because i was already you know basically three years into my engineering degree i'm like i'm not gonna abandon this and just jump into something yeah, you got else. sunk cost yeah and we were just kind of coming out of where everybody was panicked for real estate so it wasn't as sexy as it is now mm -hmm. or the last few few years have been 
Um, so I just, I stuck to the, I, I, I spent the summer through um, with him and then I, I jumped back to engineering and just hammered it out for basically two more years. But like the last two semesters or so, um, I, we started talking again about me doing it when I graduated. And again, I was like, I was young. I was like 21, 22 years old at the time. And uh, I was getting closer to graduating, but I was all the time in class. I, I do my homework at night in between the valet and the Jeeps and everything. And then in class, I would be just be on the MLS all the time, looking for <laughs> deals, trying to find wholesalers, sending me deals that's just obsessed with it. Well, it's, it's fascinating because like, how are you able to balance all these different things, right? Like, I mean, I'm an engineer or I was an engineer. So like engineering school is no joke. It was not a joke, yeah. Right, so you got engineering <laughs> and then you're valeting and you're, and, and, and you're doing the Jeep thing. It's just crazy to me that you have all this energy and something I think is, is really important for a lot of guys that are getting into this business now because it looks really easy. It is not. It <laughs> looks really easy, right? And they think, oh, I can just get in and just you know, do like $10 a day or whatever and I can get this going. But you were obsessed. Obsessed, yeah, right? absolutely. You, so anyway, continue. Yeah, yeah. I, I, anything that I've always done, I've always done 110%, you know, and, and just having a really strong work ethic. So um but yeah so back to that back to that i'm getting i'm beginning to graduate i graduate in 2015 and i'm getting good job offers because you know engineering jobs when you're when you're 21 22 years old they're 70,000 base with commissions you could pretty easily be making 100 grand a year within a year or two mm -hmm. um and i just decided to abandon that and i'm like you know what i'm just going to give this a shot i have the safety net of my my degree if i want to go back to that so I, I deny all the job requests and it was like a, that was a scary time for me, but I took the risk. Um, and I jumped on board, uh, with my, my brother-in-law and we, we hammered it out for three years and our first year together, we ended up doing around 70 flips or so. Um, wow. yeah, we were strictly flipping and, and dude, we were doing everything from A to Z, like meeting the contractors out getting the bids, going through every single line item, knocking down the bids, ordering all the stuff from Amazon, getting it to my house, hit whatever, Home Home Depot, dropping stuff off, all the way through the flip, quality control, scheduling the photographers, staging, like knickknacks from home goods, staging the houses, um, then listing the property, like uh, taking the offers, we were the agents, we were everything. And man, it was, it was just too much, so. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that was crazy. So I mean, 70 total. Flips. Flips. Mm -hmm. So it's not like you're managing 70 altogether. Like in order to do 70 flips, you have to be managing how many? In that, in Probably that year? at that time. I mean, maybe you have about 20 or so at a time at that 15 to 20. Yeah. So that's maddening as well. Yeah, it yeah. was. And I and, and I'll tell you that the construction, I mean, we've got it down now um, just because of the volume that we've done. But it's not my strong suit. Like I it, it's just it's it's brain damage. You can't systemize a lot of it. There's so many different variables. It takes constant like driving the. You can't just let it go automatically. You can't trust anybody. You have to verify everything. Right. And meanwhile, too, keep in mind while we're doing all these flips, I'm also finding them on the MLS, working with wholesalers. So at night, when I, at, when everybody goes to sleep, I get home, and I I would I'm running all the properties for the auction for the next day. I'm you know create looks scavenging the MLS to find deals, writing a ton of offers. You know. I just found that, you know, with anything, whether it's wholesaling or MLS, whatever, it's just volume. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to do a lot of stuff and you play the odds and you, you get deals. So doing all that too. And it, so we just overwhelmed, definitely overwhelmed and just little by little, 
grew our team and uh yeah so then a year two then the next two years following that we did about 100 properties a year and all flips no wholesaling as so at that time though like during the day you were just managing yes and then after the day those were your income activities exactly right right yeah i was managing and then like it it, looking back it was so dangerous because i'd be like I'd have the my one of my Jeep filled with tile in the back. I'd be on the phone trying to call contractors or follow up with agents that I wrote offers on and replying to emails. And I've got two thousand pounds of tile in the back, and it was <laughs> way too much, way too yeah. much. But it, it 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 just programmed my mind in this business like fat go faster, 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 faster. Yeah. So that kind of just became the normal. So you guys scale to a hundred the next couple mm-hmm. of years, mm-hmm. and then. And then uh, in early 18, uh, we decided he, he uh, took on, uh, he still flips a lot and he took on a lot of the retail brokerage and growing that, growing a brand, growing a business on that side. I took on more of the direct homeowner marketing because we had never, we'd not done any, I didn't do any direct like marketing at all until like really until August of 2018. Like we would be like, oh, let's try PPC and set a keyword up before mm-hmm. that but nothing really you know so it wasn't until august 2018 that i really did any marketing so right and so what kind of marketing did you do i started with um i was never comfortable with spending money everything i always made i kept as much of it as i possibly could that explains the profitability number yeah yeah <laughs> and it, it's kind of to my demise actually because i would probably be a lot better off if i delegated more and you know spread it out and i'd have a little more freedom but yeah um but uh, my, the first type of marketing I did was ringless voice, or actually uh, voice broadcasting, because it's different than ringless voicemail. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I, I remember I, I set up a voice broadcast, and not really knowing what it was at all, I got a, a list, a random list, I don't even remember, I think somebody gave it to me. I just loaded it all up, and I'm like, all right, I'm gonna send you know 100 bucks today. And I sent them all back to my phone. I didn't even know what call rail was at that time. And my phone literally like just back to back to back. Like I couldn't even take somebody's uh, text message or call because it's another call, another call, another call coming in. I remember I was answering as many of them I could, as I could. I'm like, this is amazing. Like, I don't yeah. know what everybody's talking about. It's hard to get leads or whatever. Cause right. I hear real estate agents. Cause I came from that side of working with agents trying to find deals. And um, so, and I remember first round I sent, I, I get an appointment, I go on an appointment and I get the deal first one. I'm like, this is awesome. I'm going to do this every day. Right. You know, I'm going to get a, a deal a day. So I just start doing that a little bit more and just kind of refining it and figuring out what I'm doing there, looking at the data and the reports that comes back after I send them and just refining, refining. And then um, I realized that uh, I just can't be on the phone all day long, you know, yeah. just constantly taking calls. So that was the first like marketing I did, and then um, I was kind of going through a transition period in my life at that point, because um, you know when you, yeah, I was going through a transition period. So, in, I I was like, I wanted to just uh, go away for a long, like on a vacation. So I I went to Europe for like a month, and I, well, I hang on before you do this, because right? <laughs> yeah. I think that's an important point. But before we get there, you mentioned refining. Yes, because I think that's something that you know a lot of people once they get in the business and they start doing deals, it's like. It's go time all the time, yep. and there's very little reflecting. Right. Very little introspection. It's just go, 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 go. Yep. What were you refining? What was your refining process? Well, my refining process was every single lead that I got, 
that I felt was a decent lead, first off, I would go back and look, I would reverse engineer it and I would see where it came from, what list, what it, like just see what was going on with it. And I did that with a lot of them and I just would kind of start to see trends. And then I'd also, Excel is your best friend. I mean, some people aren't good, good at that great at it, but even on a really simple level, like pretty much any of the those data-driven marketing channels, text messaging, RVM, voice broadcast, cold call, any of those, like you can just find trends within your data with filters and stuff and just kind of see what's working and what's not. And then whatever's working, just refine it and do more of that. That's right. basically what I'm by refining, yeah. Yeah, okay, so, so something happened and you had to go take a month off. Exactly, so I, I, I go, I, I take my, my, now, my, now my wife, we go to Europe for basically not quite a month, like it was like 20 something days. And I, uh, one of my, when I was flipping Jeeps, I, I had my friend um, Ryan that, uh, he's now my acquisitions guy and like right hand man, he does way more than just acquisitions. But um, when we were flipping all the houses, he, he when I was valet, I got him a valet job with me. When I was uh, flipping the Jeeps, he watched me flipping them and he was like, oh, I wanna do it with you, I wanna do it. And I was always like, no, leave, like just don't even, don't come into my territory, you know? <laughs> And then uh, one day I, I, I had to go to class, whatever, and there's a deal, and I'm like, oh, this guy's always wanted. So I'm like, hey, there's this deal, whatever. So he goes and he gets it, and then we just, when I started flipping them, we started doing a lot of them together. And then I moved on from that, kind of. I was still working ballet, and I got him a job there, too. And then I, when I, we were flipping all the houses, he wanted to do that, too. He's always like, can, can I come do that? I'm like, no, 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 because I didn't want to ruin our friendship either. So then he eventually did. And he was doing our pro project management because as we grew, I mean, that first year was crazy and it was always crazy. But um, we started to get transaction coordinator, you know, and then project manager and then what so forth. And he was our project manager. So he was running all the construction jobs. Um, and then when I went to do the direct homeowner thing, um, he wanted to come too. So but I was also again, I'm like, I don't want to be responsible for anybody but myself. I want no I just want to be left in my cave to work. I'm, Ultimately, like I, I'm kind of like an independent worker. I just mm -hmm. like to be kind of in my own bubble. Um, but I, I'm going to Europe, and I'm like, I got all these leads. Um, and he keeps asking. I'm like, okay, well, go. On, okay, I have these appointments while I'm gone. Um, will you go on them while I'm gone? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. I'll, whatever. We have no agreement in place. Nothing. He just wants to learn. And same thing with me. So I go away, and while I'm gone, uh, I give him like four appointments, and he gets three deals. And I'm like. I knew because when he was managing, when he's doing construction management, everybody just loved him all the time. Like yeah. he has a great personality. I always knew he's better suited for something else because that's like a an hourly task. He's, he yeah. can actually generate revenue because I would see it with our jeeps too. And so um, I come back and I'm like, man, like the, the, like I I don't love. Talk I, I was good at acquisitions, mm -hmm. but I didn't love it, you know. And this guy loves talking to people, so yeah. I uh, I just start marketing. I'm like start feeding him leads and he just starts killing it so um i don't i don't know if that that's like the transition and how i go into direct a homeowner and started marketing but i'm doing rb i'm just producing all these leads i'm working them he's working them and we just started scaling up from there so i think that was 2018 i had a a trailing of the the properties that i had because when you're when you're flipping you know your pipeline gets way bigger because the sales cycle is so much longer mm -hmm. so you know if you uh, it's it, you, you end up having a lot more properties on your books or whatever. Um, so 
trailing into 18 when I stopped flipping as much and only was focusing on wholesaling. Um, I, I think that year I ended up all the deals that I found and every, or I, I produced and then went on my own, it was like a, a little over a hundred again. Um, and then that, that was 18 and then it transitioned to 19 where, um, I started to see how well we did and I'm like, let's amp this up, you know? So well, talking about how well you did, like what were you doing that you were finding was working really well at that time? At that time, uh, I, I, uh, again, data, I couldn't take the calls all the time with the ringless voicemail and the message communications or sending out voice broadcasting through message communications. Um, so I switched to sending out text. I started doing texting and again, not really knowing what I was doing. I would just say, I'm gonna put 500 bucks in and I'm gonna run it and see what happens. So I started doing a lot of texting and we were getting a, a lot of deals, like, um, a lot of deals, you know, when you're spending only a, a couple grand a month, it, you know, when you start getting like four to six deals a month, that's that's pretty good. It's hard to it's get incredible ROI over that. Yeah, exactly. It's incredible ROI. And I wasn't then I started to uh, stack up. I had some cash saved up from those years of um, flipping, but but not a whole lot because I was a minor. I was uh, basically in a partnership and then we had investors, too. So. I wasn't able when we were flipping hundreds of homes. I wasn't making millions of dollars at all. I put I put my time in and I, you know, sweat equity and I learn and and anyway. So I started to get more cash after I was wholesaling, and then I started dabbling in the more expensive lead channels, mm -hmm. PPC, you know, getting content writers for SEO. Um, pretty much those are the only two. I never did in eighteen and pretty much all of nineteen. I didn't really do any of any cold callers. No, I didn't hire a bunch of cold callers and do all that. I. I just only cold calling was our warm leads that we're doing in house, but right. yeah, a lot of text messaging, a lot of it. So in 2019, we're talking, you know, two million in revenue. It was yep. predominantly texting. You transitioned from slide broadcasts or uh, from broadcasting to RVMs. Mm -hmm. Well, I was doing I that that was 18 that I yeah 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 basically. I so you transfer, transitioned to RVM mm -hmm. and you had a pay per click and yep. then content writing. So no one's ever talked about that on this show. I think it's a great topic. Yeah. You want to elaborate what you mean when you say content writing? Yeah. So, um, I mean, SEO or search SEO search engine optimization, they're basically free leads from Google. It's like Google ranking your website higher and they are free, but they're the most valuable because even when I'm doing PPC where you're like in the top of your banner, you have your ads for those of people that don't know what PPC is, is the Google pay-per-click AdWords. Um, people skip over that because they're like scam. I'm going to the, the people that just rank organic. The real results. The real results, yeah. And to get ranked, I mean, there's all keywords and stuff you can do on your website to optimize it. But one of the main factors is among dozens of other things. I'm I, and I'm not an expert on it. I have a company that helps me with it. But um, is writing articles and content like on a blog on your site because that all those uh, keywords within those blogs that'll help you start to rank organically. You know, mm -hmm. you don't want to do tricky stuff to try to get to the top because if you get caught, you're cut off. You yeah, you're blacklisted. Mm -hmm. So did you have, like when you were doing that, did you have like in the back of your mind, like this is like a short lived thing? Because like right now, in my opinion, that could be completely wrong. Uh, I think this texting is, is it's out. got a shelf life. It's going to end yeah. very soon. Did you with, with Google, with the way they're always changing algorithms and so on, think like, okay, I'm spending money on SEO, but this can be gone overnight. Um, I didn't think that way. I probably should have, but yeah. I was, when you're in the eye of the storm, you don't really see what's going on. And I was doing all these marketing channels and I'm running the marketing channels and like, it was pretty much just me and Ryan 
working all this stuff. So I didn't think that far. I'm like, I'm just doing what work, what's working now and I'm doing more of it. Yeah. So I wasn't concerned with SEO and PPC. Honestly, those are the ones that I felt probably most confident in. Um, it was more the, the, the texting and the, the gray area type marketing channels mm -hmm. that I was concerned um, that would eventually evaporate or you know diminish. So that's why I started going the more expensive ones because I wanted to know how to do a little bit of everything. So if that does dry up, I, I can just switch to over here. You know, you kind of right. always got to be adapting. Especially in today's market. Right. Yep. And it's happening right now with texting. It's getting yeah. squeezed and squeezed and squeezed. I've, I've seen my, the, the main thing that I look at when I'm, when I'm texting is your response rate. Um, because if, if your, your response rate, that'll screw up all of your numbers as far as your cost per deal, cost per lead, um, how, just the amount you're spending. It's like, it, so you've got to really monitor your response rate and there's so many different factors that go into that. Yeah. What was your response rate? I'm just curious, cause I didn't get in the texting early like you guys did. Mm -hmm. What was your response rate when you first started doing texting? So, uh, when I, so it's, it's hard sometimes to compare across platforms because they'll, some of them won't even give you an option. Like, um, I mean, there's, you know, launch control, there's lead Sherpa, there's roar, there's all these different ones and they'll rank or they'll calculate them in different ways based on delivered, based on sent, based on, there's a, a few different things. So when I was looking at it, I would see other people, um, using at the time I was using roar. Um, and I would see other people using the platform and they were getting anywhere from, let's say, five to eight to if you're doing pretty good 10% response rates and that response rate was based on sent to inbound, not actually delivered because it wouldn't tell you what was delivered, it would just right. say sent. So um, sent to delivered and then, and I was able to get at that time anywhere from like 18 to 25%. Yeah. So I'd watch what they're doing and, and they're like, oh, I just turn it on and whatever, I've never even looked at any of this stuff, it's so cheap. I'm like, but you have to spend double, you know, if you're getting, 5% or 6% response rate, and I'm getting 24%, you gotta spend four times what I do to, to get right. the same ROI. My cost per deal is a fourth of yours, my, you know, so that's why I tracked it, so yeah, but so it's about about 20, yeah, average is probably 18%, 13 to 18. And what are you using right now for texting? Um, I've tried a bunch of different platforms, but ultimately I found that none of them all had what I needed for my business. There was a one hole missing here or there, and even if I was talking to, um, you know, who built it or you, you only have so much control and they're only going to factor in so much of, of you as one user, which mm -hmm. they have to, they have a business to run. Um, but there's other things in the back end that were just little by little. I watched my response rate dwindling and dwindling and dwindling and because as more people were getting in and then the carriers are getting more strict and the things that I knew needed to be um, incorporated into the software just weren't there. So right. um, me and Jared actually dove in to just make one for us because that was my driving force for my business. And I'm like, I'm not leaving it into the hands of others. When my ROI is insane on it. Like I, I just hire a developer now. I've got a little bit of money. I'm gonna hire a developer and just build our own. Like how complicated could it really be? So that's what we did um, and it's it's been great. So I just built my own out at the moment. We're just using it for us in-house. Gotcha, gotcha. So going back to 2019, right? You know, $2 million. Mm -hmm. If you were to break down, you know, you were talking about four different channels. If you break it down, which were the best for you? So, uh, best, best in amount of revenue. Revenue, not necessarily ROI. Right. So best revenue. ROI and actual total revenue by far SMS. It was about that was like about thirty something percent of our business. Um, runner up to that was uh, PPC. 
um, best in revenue, and then not best, or yeah, so, PP, so SMS, PPC, and then SEO. And the way that they would convert, SMS is brutal because the conversion that leads to contract is way higher. It's like, you know, 90 to one or whatever because we're really lenient in how we qualify people. So 90 to one, whatever, 80 to one, 100 to one sometimes. PPC would be like 10 to one, one yeah. to eight, you know? And then SEO was like one to four, like one out of three leads we would end up turning into a deal. Right. And, and at the time actually, which I, I regret now, but I was a bit, I, I was just, anybody that wanted retail, throw it in the trash, you know, I just move on. Not, I, I mean, I know the difference. A lot of times people say they want retail, we'd work them and work them. But mm -hmm. when we really saw the person that was ready to sell, list the property, I, I and I have my license too, I'd be like, I'm not listing the house, let's move on. Right Now I've started to convert all those leads into to retail listings too. I wish I would have been doing it the whole time because it's been like a cash cow, it's totally passive, you know, so the so conversion think, would have been a lot better. I think this is a great point because it's something that uh, I, when I started the show, you know, almost two years ago, like I wanted to kind of join the realtor and wholesaler community. That was like my vision. Uh -huh. And that's been an abject failure. It's been terrible. Like it <laughs> didn't work at all. But it's something that I, I still push. Like if you're a wholesaler, you should get a license. In fact, a lot of yep. our licenses in my brokerage because there's this other opportunity that they want retail, refer it on, get 25%. Yep. Without the headache. You can actually get more than 25% too. <laughs> yeah. I've heard that as well. That's a common number. But yes, you're <laughs> that right. That is a pretty yeah, that's a yeah. standard, yeah. So I think that's something that a lot of people are missing because you're spending the money on marketing. Mm -hmm. You're doing all the work. You're spending the resources. Yep, the time. Yeah, you might as well. Like if it can get you 3,000 in six months, that's like found money, it's like Christmas money. Right, exactly, yeah. Yeah, when, you're, when you start producing a ton of leads, it's a lot more than 6,000 or whatever, 3,000. And it's like just on autopilot, you kind of just, you got to find killer agents that are experienced and show them the opportunity, show them what you've done and what you like. And it's it's a no brainer for them to take on those leads. And there's an additional ROI where you get to be the first buyer exactly. on their yep. listings. Yep, yep. And they, exactly. All the other properties of the deals that they're working, they, they end up bringing back to you. And then a lot of the times what happens is these people think they want retail, but they don't, then they get on the market and realize they don't want retail. So yeah. they'll come back around and it's like, you, if you just let that lead go, you don't have that same opportunity. So you would agree then like being licensed, there's benefits key. to being licensed. Yes, absolutely key. Or at, at least having somebody licensed on your team. Um, the other reason why it's great is if you're flipping um, in, a, in like my mark in Vegas, it's ex ultra competitive. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So the, 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 those margins are just so squeezed. And if you have to pay an agent on both sides or even on even one side, like you're gonna get beat out on everything. So it allows you to have that uh, additional margin to, to, to survive. And then in, in addition to that, we, when, back when we were doing only flips, I was majority of the properties I was finding, probably 80% of them were just on the MLS. Yeah. It just took, it was the same thing as the seller, negotiating with sellers is just calling a ton of agents, making a ton of offers and negotiating everything. But because we were licensed, you know, you can you can actually wholesale properties on the MLS. A lot of people don't think you can. They think right. it's illegal or whatever. I mean, really? People think that? <laughs> All the time. They don't believe it. <laughs> wow. Interesting. So, okay. So now the part that I want to talk about, and this is like the nerdy component, mm -hmm. right? You know, former engineer, former engineer. Yep. Profitability is something that's not really sexy. Not a lot of people <laughs> talk about it, right? So, you know, we all chase revenue. We chase volume, we chase units, yeah. right? But Those are the ones that make you feel good inside, the big numbers. <laughs> the big numbers, they, make, they do make you feel really good. But at the end of the day, 
what pays the bills and helps you sleep well is mm-hmm. the profitability. Right. So you've done a great job. I don't know anyone running higher than 50% profitability. For our team, you know, profitability is something we chase. And last year we were at 45%. Okay. Right, which I've been told is a really good number. But then I see your number. I was like, man, we sucked last year. So <laughs> let's talk about how do we? How did you run a profitable business? Um, well, one thing that might be different, but I think a lot of people probably listening to this podcast are still very involved in their business. I know um, there's the vision of having this big, sexy company with a bunch of people and everybody's running and I don't even know the properties coming through, which which is great and I'd love to be there, but unfortunately I, I, I'm terrible at delegating. I just take it for myself. I'm a little bit of a control freak. Exactly, yeah. So I'm very involved in the business is the yeah. first thing. I don't know how involved you are with your business, but like every property, I know what's going on, unfortunately. But it's getting to the point where um, I've got a lo- more people in place now or that's not the case, but very involved in it and then just just doing the cheap marketing channels until you can afford the expensive ones as long as you're getting an ROI on all of them and tracking them at, at least every two months you know to make sure that they're healthy but but when I was so involved in the business that I knew I'm like oh that deal I know that came from PPC and I'm gonna make you know 17 on it and we got another one that became this and that so I just know in my head everything's kind of profitable but then I would look probably weekly, nightly at each marketing channel um, and just look at the live feed of the expenses and the ROI from my revenue from Podio, projected and actually closed. I mostly, I mean, a lot of people talk about projected and stuff. We closed just about, we, that number's really close for us, projected to close because we closed like, our cancellation was like 5% or something like that. Real, wow, yeah. that's really low. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I won't put it under contract if I don't, th- if I won't buy it myself at right. the end of the day. Well, I mean, the stuff that we run into is, you know, change of heart. Yep. Screwed up title. Right. Yeah. So those are the cancellations we have. And I think ours is higher than 5% uh, between everything. But I think, you know, to go back to what you're talking about tracking. So like something that Max and I do every every Monday, we go over our pipeline. Mm-hmm. And then our pipeline, one of the uh, columns is lead source. Right. Right. Because if you don't know the lead source, it's really hard to track. Yep. Profitability. Okay. So you're heavily involved. Um, and you think that's the biggest part? Yeah. Tracking the ROI for mm-hmm. each lead source. Anything else? I mean, I think those are, I would say common sense. They feel very common sense when someone says it to you. Yeah. But are there other things as well or? Um, I think that is is never uh, conversion, like making sure that um, you have a good salesperson because mm-hmm. salespeople will get fatigued uh, if you feed them too many leads or, you know, if they're not converting things right, like the first, before you start doing, dumping money into any marketing channel is you got to make sure that you have sales and conversion tackled. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I'm lucky enough. I think that's one of the biggest secrets to our profitability and our success is, is Ryan. Mm-hmm. He's an incredible sales guy and he's not, a, I wouldn't even consider him like a lot of times a salesman. He's just, it's just so natural to him. It's not like he's, um, when you, you think a salesman, sold. he's not like a car salesman. You don't yeah. feel sold. Right. And so um, pretty much like we, we would go head to head with a lot of people on deals and they would give it to us for less often. And, and it's because he's just so likable. So, so sale, I think that having a good salesperson on your team is is absolutely key to, to having a profitable business or a good margin on your yeah. business. So they're converting gotcha. as much as possible. Gotcha. So let's talk about, you know, your, your your line items right so um i know like my biggest expenses one of my biggest expenses is labor okay right so you know if you look at most pnls expenses is is, is marketing 
um, hard costs and then, you know, um, marketing and staff. So for you going back to your profitability component, what is your biggest expense? Um, PPC yeah. is by far. Oh, and then obviously commissions, but, um, with Ryan, uh, I, I don't, we don't do bases as straight commission cause he, cause he, he's way better off that way. Um, I've, I've just finally, when we did last year, when, so we closed about, or we closed 144 properties last year. And, uh, with that was done with me, my assistant transaction coordinator, part-time bookkeeper, whatever you want, right-hand girl, mother hand, Kelly. Oh, that one person's doing those three things. She's, oh yeah, she does book. She like goes in QuickBooks, assigns all the charges, um, prints all the receipts, make sure all the files are good. She has all my TC, make sure that like any properties that we do, if we wholetail them or whatever, or whole, flip them. She's like, managing 12 properties a month. Oh uh, yeah, absolutely, yeah, wow, absolutely. Okay. Well, Ryan helps too, but yeah, she's doing that. And she's printing checks for all the vendors. She's utilities on and off. like. That it never ends. And you got a superhuman there. Yeah, I do have a superhuman. You're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah, she's incredible. And I've been really, I was really lucky to find her. That was a, that was my first hire other than Ryan, which Ryan was more of like kind of like a partner thing mm -hmm. in the beginning when he was doing all the acquisitions. Kelly, I just was lucky enough to find her on Facebook, and so assistant was my first hire. But it, that all that was done with Ryan, me, Kelly, this part time guy that would kind of dial on all of Ryan's leads, like kind of warm them up, preliminary rapport building, um, qualifier, whatever people want to call him, lead manager. Um, but he would only work like 20 hours a week. So it was five of us, me. And then Corey, um, who's also one of my buddies, um, that would help me finding still some properties on the MLS. Um, he would do all the disposition, which for us disposition is pretty simple, mm -hmm. you know? And then he was, Ryan was doing the project management and acquisitions and we're like, you need you need to stop doing that. So then Corey took over that role too. So it was yeah. basically just the five of us or four of us plus um, Chance. Gotcha. So was, yeah. So Ryan's acquiring. Mm -hmm. So is he in the cost of goods sold or is he after the the the? the... He's in, he is he's in cost of goods sold. Okay. So yeah. even with paying Ryan, you're still at sixty eight percent. Yes. That's incredible. Yeah. Okay. So one thing, I hope you don't mind me bringing this up. When we first met, you were kind of going through a situation, right? Like we mm -hmm. met, uh, Jared was speaking at uh, McFate Brewery, right? Yep, I have our yep, monthly yep. meetup, which we're not going to have this month because of what everything's going on. <laughs> but we have our monthly meetup and Jared was speaking and you flew in from Vegas. Mm -hmm. But you're kind of going through a complicated situation at that time. Yep. You care to talk about that at all? Um, yeah, so um, I, I, the, the, that's the transition period is right. um, I, me and my partner just went different directions um, and it was really, really tough because he was a mentor to me. He brought, like he changed my life. So it was a tough transition when we split. Um, now in retrospect, it was the best thing for both of us. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah, that was a really, whenever you split with somebody that you start, did so much with and grew so much with, it's painful. It's like divorcing your wife, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, that took me a little, little bit of time to, to get over that hump, you know, and that's why I didn't want to work with anybody. I'm like, I just want to be left alone. I didn't even want like an assistant or nothing. I'm like, I just want to be in a cave, you know? Yeah. So one of the things that I, I've said many times, right. I think, I, I think we shouldn't have, people shouldn't do partnerships, right? Mm -hmm. Something I've said a lot, Brent Daniels has, has pushed us a lot, but at the same time I have a business partner, okay. you know? Um, so it just made sense with. The, with the skill sets, there was so much synergy. It's like, it's a no brainer. Yep. But for you, someone that's gone through a partnership, you know, and you've learned some lessons along the way, oh, yeah. what advice would you give someone that's, you know, newer and like, man, you know, this is really hard. I should do a partnership. 
or whatever like what advice would you give someone in that situation um i would i would say maybe take it deal by deal um and super super important is communication and that is not my strong suit so i don't i'm not good at communicating my constantly i, I just don't that's because again i'm kind of just in, operating independently um so communication i i don't i in retrospect it was a, one of the greatest things that happened to me but now this is much better because you don't have to worry about um you, you don't have to worry about someone else's feelings ever mm-hmm. like if, if i mess up I already feel like I already beat myself up enough. I don't want to think, oh, my partner's mad at me too, or whatever, you know, or how somebody else feels. So I, it's it's a, a weight off my shoulders. For some people, they they like it. Um, I think it, you might be better off finding somebody to do deal by deal, like just small partnerships or or like a mentorship where you're kind of it feels like a partnership deal by deal. And then you know when you're you don't need that or or not, not don't need that, but when you've grown beyond it, you can still do just do deal by deal is is my take on it. Yeah, um, and you know again you're in Vegas, right? One of the toughest markets. Yep. So and you're good friends with with Ryan Panita. Oh yeah. yeah. Right, and so it just goes to show you you can collaborate without having to sign an agreement. Yes. Yes. Right. Me and I did a lot of collaborating with guys in in my marketplace that were my top competitors like Alex and Jason. I don't know if you know know them in, in Vegas, but they're, it's them and Ryan as far as like direct to homeowner marketing and a bunch of other guys. Mm-hmm. And I, I it just it's, feels good to be an open book and just be like, oh, this is what's working for me. Like here's, I, I like doing it. So that just kind of happened organically. And, and me and Ryan were kind of just more friends first. And then it's like, we would just, then maybe throw in questions every, not push too much because I mean, everybody still wants to have something in their back pocket, you know, right. they don't want to, everything, but uh, so we, we would just ask each other questions and stuff and grow together, you know, because what, what we lose to each other, you know, let's say of our competition, we, let's say every once in a while, we lose a deal here, there, let's just call it five or 10%. It's first off, it's like, great, it went to my boy. Like, mm-hmm. that's cool. But second off, it's what we grow and gain together way outweighs what we lose to each other. So For sure. Yeah, it's not even close. Yeah. Uh, so we were talking about you first started whole, uh, flipping mm-hmm. and then you started wholesaling. Yes. How much wholesaling are you doing today? How much flipping are you doing today? Um, today is different from last year, but um, last year is probably 70% wholesale, 30% flipping mm-hmm. about roughly. Um, and this, this year, cause nobody saw the, any shift and I, I'm not even gonna call it a shift. I'm not, I'm not worried about it at all. But, um, I started buying so much cause I, I, my cash is sitting in the bank. I'm like, I'd rather put it out there and in my business and, and maximize all my ROI channels. Cause I know how to flip. I just don't really enjoy it as much, but right. I know how to flip. So I, I, we're flipping a lot more the last couple months. Um, probably shifted 70 flipping 30 wholesaling, but yeah, last year, 70% wholesale. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, um, still no call, no cold calling. Just started dabbling in it the last like three, four months, you know, we're getting deals from it and works, but, um, I haven't refined it enough yet. And, um, it's, it's just like anytime you start a new marketing channel, it's almost like starting another new little business within your business. So with all the other stuff we have going on, if I had the full time to dedicate to it, I'd probably get it dialed in a lot quicker, but lucky enough, I have people that do a ton of cold calling. I can Mm. consult with them, you know, but yeah, I just started doing cold calling. So it's not as efficient as we want it to be. No, it's not. I mean, the ROI is not what SMS is. So (laughs) I don't think there's anything. No, there's nothing, you know, for, for, 
a while last year, I was looking at our cost per deal with SMS mm -hmm. was $380. That's insane. Like, yeah, that's insane. It's no longer that number. No. <laughs> it's, it's north of 1200 today. But for a minute, you know, for a very short period of time, it was $380. That was crazy. You could do that all day. Yeah. Even right? if it's 1500 bucks or whatever. I mean, it's, yeah. that's it's a no brainer. I think, you know, 380 average fee is 15,000. Like, pour it all into there. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, which I think is the reason why SMS is also ruined. I think we all did that. Exactly. Right. <laughs> exactly. We all just started pouring gasoline in and just ruined it for ourselves. <laughs> yeah. All right. So Devin Burr's got a question. How are you staying ahead of things so that you know when to pivot with your business? Um, I have a live feed dashboard of my ROI per marketing channel. Mm -hmm. um, and so I can see when things start to, I, I make graphs of, of revenue and I try to track it based on um, not I, I split it to see when the lead actually closed the revenue, but also to, to see when that lead was actually generated to, to know if that revenue or that um, lead channel is still producing well. Mm -hmm. um, so I can split from SMS, RVM, PPC, SEO. I have dashboards for each of them um, with statistics for all of it. So I just look at each one of them and I just click through and I'm like, oh, that one looks good today. Or like yeah. that one's looking really good this month, this year, whatever. So that's one thing. The other thing is constantly looking at the inventory in your market. It's so important because you'll be able to tell if, if you can tie deals up a little bit higher because you're going to get a little bit more or if um, if you're wholesaling, if flippers are going to pay more. Mm -hmm. um, that's how I stay ahead of it is an inventory and looking at the marketing channels constantly. Gotcha. Yeah, that's one thing that I pay a lot of attention to. Have to as a broker yes. and, a, and a wholesaler. Yep. Uh, so you're, one of the metrics you're tracking is from con from initial conversation to closing. Correct. Well, not time frame, but when the lead was produced. Yeah. You know, to see what was spent that month a lot of times. Yeah, we need to start tracking that. Yeah. Um, so uh, Rick Ryan says dad is watching. <laughs> so be nice. That's my dad. Hey, dad. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So right now you're focused strictly in, in Vegas. Yeah. All right. Um, so there's a lot of doom and gloom right now. Mm -hmm. Right. And the hotel industry is obviously a big industry in Vegas. Um, are you doing anything differently at all or are you just going to keep doing what you're doing? Um, I mean, I'm liquidating yeah. I, I, just to be prepared. Um, I, I, I kind of always make sure that I, I don't put myself in a position where I get run dry if things shift a bit. Mm -hmm. But, um, as far as like making sure you have enough cash flow to sustain for, I mean, at least six months, but really you want to have two years is my, yeah. in my opinion to, for your marketing, for your, um, hard money payments, all that kind of stuff. Construction costs, you need to be prepared there. Um, but the reality of it is, if you're prepared for a year or two years, if things shift, it's not like every pr property you're holding is just not gonna sell. So right. um, how am I preparing? You mean preparing for any sorts of shifts in the market? Is that what you mean by that? Or are you doing? Any, are you making any adjustments at all right now? Yeah, I mean, it's just a very temporary thing is yeah. I don't want to look back and say, cause we have plenty of leads in our pipeline. So I've pulled marketing back just while I get, um, cause that we have, I think right now we own like 22 properties mm -hmm. that we're flipping also. So I'm just going to start making, focusing on construction, getting rid of all of them. So I have enough cash in the bank to, to strike when, when things do get sticky, you know, in a little bit here. Yeah. Uh, one thing that was really cool, you know, we were on a call yesterday mm -hmm. and put together by Carlos. Oh, yeah, 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 yep. Right? I mean, the power, you were talking about collaboration with yeah. Ryan and so on, like the power to be in, on a call with all the top guys across the country. Mm -hmm. You want to speak on that at all? Yeah, on, honestly, I was I was pretty flattered that I was <laughs> asked to be on the call, but 
Um, but I, yeah, I've been friends with Carlson Sal forever. We actually, when we were bunch buying a bunch of properties, I was buying like everything when Sal was doing dispo. Yeah. So a long time ago. And my personal house, I actually bought from them, Carlson Sal. <laughs> I, I, I paid them a $98,000 assignment fee. Yep. So wow. anyways, um, <laughs> uh, that was a sidetrack. But uh, on that call, yeah, because you, you have a lot of people that have their finger on the pulse. They're spending a lot of money on marketing. They're watching things very closely, and they didn't they didn't end up with these successful businesses by mistake. So um, it's just good to 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 see what everybody else is thinking. Um, I, I think that everybody's specific business is is going to be different, and everybody and their exposure to the market shifts, so their risk is going to be different, and every. Um, business specifically and market is going to be different. So, mm -hmm. um, I just kind of took the generalities of it, uh, of it uh, and just felt made me feel more comforting, just confirmation of the way that I'm handling the shift for us. But, and so, you know, for you, right. For the guys that are listening to the show, like what's one generality that maybe you could share with everyone's listening right now? Yeah. So the main thing, of course, making sure that, um, you've got enough cash to sustain, but I mean, if, if it's that if, if it's here now it's too late if you didn't prepare so right. going uh, aside from that what you can do is one just make a plan and stick to it like decide what you're gonna do with your business like for me I decided okay I'm just gonna make sure that I get out of all these properties as quickly as I can all the flips that I have not in a just fire sale but like complete the projects get follow the process but just focus on my energy into that and don't worry about what's going on because you can't control that focus on what you can control and let the rest happen but just monitor what's going on like your inventory rates and stuff so you yeah. you price things accordingly so they'll move and just st figure out the plan ignore the rest and stick to it because if you're panicking or you're stressed and whatever you're going to make bad decisions yeah. you're going to sleep miserably like i feel great like i, I, yeah, I i'm amazing. not worried about it yeah. so uh rome kirkland wants to know what percentage are your buyers are what what percentage are your buyers willing to pay for your wholesale deals 70%, 75, 80%. Sure. So um, the the way that we look at it, and I'm sure that you, you do too, is, is what they'll pay minus repairs. So mm -hmm. um, pretty much when, when things are hot, buyers are pay paying like 84, 83% minus repairs. I have a couple buyers that are, are hedge funds that will sometimes I look at them like they're paying 89% minus repairs. And that number can seem even crazier when I think that the house because the way when I flip, I don't just paint carpet. I've been trying. I've been trying to do more now that the market was hot. But I, I go all out, new cabinets, everything, because I just feel comfortable with that model. But they'll go in. I'll have like a let's say I think twenty seven thousand is conservative budget. They'll go in and, and prove me wrong every time. And they'll they'll put like seven grand into it and list it. So sometimes when they buy properties, they'll buy them at like ninety percent, whatever you want to call it. Um, but but the rehab budget is smaller. But generally, it's eighty four percent minus repairs in Vegas. Yeah, what I was hearing in, in Vegas, this is more than a year ago. But what Jerry was saying is like he was offloading things at like eighty seven percent. Yep, like, man, this is just <laughs> it was great, crazy in Vegas. All right, so Fogtown King wants to know: Is pay per click going to be the next marketing channel becomes oversaturated? Um, depends what market you're in, but I can tell you that Vegas already is oversaturated. Yeah, and and you will not never survive with PPC unless you have a killer sales guy. Because or and if you're you need to be able to have the ability to close on the properties too sometimes because mm -hmm. they'll squeeze every let you have flippers on there and 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 more importantly you have i buyers you have open door offer pad zillow redfin all these companies are pouring money into the the legal 
marketing strategies was PPC and mailers mm -hmm. pretty much, you know? So they're, they're, they're driving that cost per lead up. So in Vegas, it's already very saturated. Um, across the nation, I don't know, it's market by market because yeah. some people's cost per lead could be here, it's probably 400 and something or whatever if you're, if you're just not really refining it. In other places, I people, people are like, oh, my cost per lead's 80 bucks. I'm like, it must be nice. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think pay-per-click can ever be oversaturated only because it's such pure capitalism. <laughs> like what you're willing to bid is very much what like the value is, right? Like the right, they, it stops making sense to get an ROI on it. Yeah, so I mean, I pulled back in uh, 18 in pay-per-click because when I started, I was paying uh, $2 a click mm -hmm. and $12 a lead, right? That's when I started. That's insane. When I said, this is not working anymore, I was at $45 a click and I think per deal was over two thousand dollars. I was like, a couple of bad months. <laughs> you really screwed. Yeah, right? and PPC. Yeah, if you're pouring ten grand a month, you, if you don't get a deal for a month, it starts to hurt. Like it's really bad. Yeah. So. Yeah. Man, so, it must have been nice to be in it when it was like that. Well, I didn't know anything back then, so I was only getting three K for assignment fees. <laughs> anyway, that was young me. Uh, so uh, Bernard Max says. How do you build your buyers list? Because you're you're mentioning hedge fund buyers. Yeah. Are, are you are you using hedge fund buyers? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, first, if you if you can get let's call it transactional funding, a lot of people see that as a double close. But if you can get like private money lenders to help you sell these cleaner properties as is, you can start because you you'll you'll with the i buyers and everything, you'll out service the customer or the seller. They will sell to you over them over um, the, the iBuyers because they want to work with an individual. So if you can get money to be able to close the properties, you can sell to the iBuyers, that's one. Um, two is just go down to your local auctions because the hedge funds will always be there. Mm -hmm. Go find out like who's buying in, in volume and just be, build a relationship with them, bring them deals. And, and that's the main thing. Like I never did the thing where you, you know, export 5,000 buyers and blast to a ton of people. Like when I, when I started wholesaling, I had a different um, background, so any everybody that I was competing against all those years, I kind of was like, "Hey, guess what, guys? Good news! <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna bring you properties." So yeah. I started selling to a lot of people um, that were I just knew would outbid me on stuff or right there with me all the time. So those are your most aggressive buyers. But focus. I, I, I most of the people that I sell to are repeat. I pretty much never sell to new new people, which I could be leaving money on the table, but it makes it a lot easier. But you got certainty. Yes, certainty and, and volume. I can just move on to the next deal because I know I think they're paying something fair. So right. Uh, Wesley Harper wants to know how much you're spending per uh, per month on pay per click and how many leads does that generate? Um, somewhere around. I mean, it varies. Like uh, ten thousand to twelve thousand is for for Google and maybe. Man, I have to look at it. Maybe like forty leads to fifty leads, whatever it comes out to. Basically, average about two hundred and thirty bucks a lead. Yeah, however many leads that is. Because sometimes there's more web forms and calls and stuff. And I just I look at my spend and my ROI. I've I've looked less at the number of leads I'm getting. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Claudia wants to know how effective texting is going to be in twenty twenty. Um, I think that it's going to start drying up for a lot of the platforms because I watched it already with the one when I watched my, so, so I, I look at my response rate, but more importantly, if you're, if you're trying to test out multiple platforms, cause all their pricing structures are going to be different, all their way they can, I, I would calculate if it'll show you, cause a lot of them, they won't show you everything, but the cost per inbound message. And then you got to know how many messages inbound does it take you to get a conversion to a deal? 
Yeah. Um, so I would just I, I watched my um, cost per inbound message go from um, four or five cents in the beginning when I was getting you know 18 25 percent um, response rates, four or five cents per inbound message all the way up to 25 cents, 27 cents, 30 cents per inbound message, and I'm like. This is crazy. Like I, that's you know nine, ten times, whatever, ten times what I was spending before, almost whatever. And so watch, watch that when you're comparing comparing platforms. So because I, I, the reason that's happening is because the carriers are spending millions and millions, probably hundreds of millions of dollars for software, developing software to prevent you from getting spammed. Yeah. They don't want you to get spammed because now I think they're being held responsible themselves. By Congress and the president. Exactly, so yeah. they're developing software to avoid it and it's it's creating, basically the, the most important thing when you're texting is making sure that you have a message profile. So like whatever your message says, that's very dynamic and it's very, it has variables within it and a bunch of like that, so that they can't put a fingerprint on that message very easily. That's how you get good response rates and stuff. So any software that provides that for you, you're going to be okay, but I haven't found too many that can do it. You know, there yeah. are a lot of good ones though. There's a, there's a couple good ones. Yeah. Um, but it's drying up. It's interesting though, that you're doing cost per inbound message. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, that's a, a big nugget there. So cost per inbound message, um, does the quality of the inbound message matter? And you're talking about call, cost per inbound message. Um, when you when you start sending out half a million messages in a month, yeah, the quality starts to go. Like I mean, it's gonna you're it's a lot of averages, you know. It just all starts to level off. So um, the quality of the mess. If you're if you want to do a lot of deals with texting, you're gonna have to blow through a lot of data. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you could look at a pre foreclosure list and be like, oh, good. I, I mean, this one converts better for me. It's less messages in. Blah blah blah. If you're on a small scale, then do that. If you have the time to do that. But for us, it's like, I just look at the, the averages, but I'll, I'll compare numbers with some people and their number of inbound messages per contract is much higher than mine. And that, what does that go back to? Conversion, sales and mark, or sales and conversion and follow up. Yeah. So it matters how you're converting, converting, not just what the cost per inbound message is. Right, and then just to add on top of the uh, point is uh, uh, for Claudio's question, um, there was like a, like a little bit of like a texting apocalypse like five weeks ago. You know when, what I'm talking about? Yeah, when uh, all the, the carriers shut down. Yep, one of the provide. Yeah, exactly. They saw who was who was doing this <laughs> stuff to everybody, like spamming everybody, and they shut the sources down. They cut them off. You know. Yeah, I mean, for like five or six days, there was no texting. Yep, exactly. So I was still texting. Yeah. <laughs> well, good for you. You you were ahead of the curve. Because I'm I don't have one source that's basically sending out millions, hundreds of millions of messages. Yeah. It's like on a smaller scale, and I need that for my business. If I had a platform for it, that's different you know it's right. trouble but uh and uh carlos Reyes says hey what's up what's up carlos uh warner carago wants to know which kpis do you think are the most important to track um interested interested leads to contract because i just really believe them all the marketing stuff is great and cool and it keeps your margins high if you figure that out but you gotta have sales before anything. So focus on your number of interested leads, qualified leads, whatever people call it, whatever word you use for it, to number of contracts. So see how your people are converting because you can think that your marketing is going awry, but it could be that you know your sales guy's having a bad month with his wife or whatever, you know, that yeah. they, they could be fighting in his mind somewhere else or like he's stressed about something. So, Pay attention to your people and your sales team. But the fun variables, right? Yep. Your guy's going crazy. Um, so Bernard has another question. When you're going against iBuyers, what are you doing to set yourself apart on the deal? 
Setting expectations, um, to be honest with you, w when somebody comes to us and they're like, oh, when you get that, that PBC lead that call, comes in and those are more more often than any time, those are the ones that are like, I already called Open Door, offer Pat, blah, blah, blah. What's your offer? Just tell me and I'm hanging up if it's not good. Mm. So to combat that, I'll, we'll just straight up be like, that is your best bet. Like, the, it, we'll look at what property, the type of property they have. If it needs a certain type of repairs, because they'll stay away from properties that need more than like fifteen or twenty thousand, they'll move on. So that's what you want to focus on, and just let them know that you should go go experience it for yourself. If they they've got this old rundown home, and they're like, oh, they like your offers. Let's just say one sixty. Ibars are gonna come in and be like two hundred. It's insane. Mm -hmm. So they'll be like, well, I'm taking that. Like you should. And if they close on it that's what you should do so right. we, we we're just super honest with people so going going forward with them when something happens i've had many times where where they sign the contract with a few of the i buyers and they keep backing out and then they they just trust your judgment at that point so that's our the biggest way to do it and then on on top of it you know just breaking down the numbers just being very transparent with sellers and letting them know what really is their best option not doing what's best for you mm -hmm. like truly tell them what's best for them you know, and fits their situation. So if that's listing it, if, if you go up to an iBuyer, I'll right away be like, you should listen instead, you're gonna get more money. Yeah. You know, cause I already know that the iBuyer is gonna blow us out of the water. Right. You know, unless it's a certain type of property. Exactly. Uh, and Ike Bika wants to know, what do you recommend to wholesalers who don't have access to MLS? That's a tough question for and, me. And I'm sorry, and don't have thousands of dollars to spend. Oh, um, that's a tough question for me because I always had access to the MLS. Um, I've found the reality of it is Zillow's usually as, as much as I hate to say it, it's relatively accurate, mm -hmm. you know, within 5% or so, if anything, I think it's a little low. I don't too often see it high. Um, so well, that's, I, that's because they're buying houses now. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> they, they figured it out. Um, so what would I, I mean, I don't know. You probably have a better answer for that with your students that don't have MLS access in different markets. Uh, we don't take on students that can't afford a market. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, like they actually have to be financially qualified to join our coaching program. Um, so, but I guess for someone like that, I mean, I think door knocking pre-foreclosure is really not a bad place to start. Right, yeah. It's and, really not. And if you get close, really, I tried to stay less focused. I, I, I made the mistake in the beginning a lot, but stay less focused on finding, like comping the properties or whatever, getting the exact value yeah. because you want to find the right seller and make a range. And if you're close, then pair up with somebody like tell a realtor or something every house you comp and oh if i make that just find a partnership until you can afford the mls yeah or even just going back to your mentioning zillow earlier uh if you're door knocking you know and you and the guy says i want this price compare against zillow yeah it's a lot lower than zillow all right you're let's on do the some right research. track exactly yeah yeah but if they want close to zillow like just move on yes exactly. uh lauren lorenzo harkins wants to know what company you're using for seo um I, I just hire content writers and they, they do it. I just, you just go on Upwork and you find people that can speak or write English very well and you mm -hmm. just kind of give them guidelines of what you want them to write and just have them write a bunch of articles and put them on your site. How much are you paying for that? Because you were saying that wasn't cheap either. No, S SEO is actually pretty cheap. It, you, it? you For a couple grand a month, you can get a ton of articles written. Yeah. You know? Cool. Um, and then how often are you touching base with your PPC leads that aren't a deal the first time? Uh... So as I went through towards the end of the last year, even though I, our PPC was great, PPC was actually dragging my ROI way down, which is fine because if you even if you're making you know 100% on your money, it's like where else can you do that? So right. I'm gonna do that instead of a rental or whatever. But um, 
what was the question one more time? Can you say it again? Um, when you're touching base with paper click lace, how okay. often are you touching base with them if you couldn't close them the first time? If, if you, well, a lot of times you can't even get a hold, back a hold of them very often, but um, at least weekly, whatever time they ask you to follow back up in, rule of thumb is cut in half or thirds and mm -hmm. check back with them. And when you when you call people back, don't make it about the house. Like like I'll, I'll hear Ryan in the other room, he'll, like it's uh, Susie, whatever, he'll be like, Susie, Hey, it's Ryan, and, she, and, and uh, or he's like, hey, it's Ryan, your best friend Ryan, and he's like, well, how's it going? What are you doing? How's your cat? Like he, that it's like that's what sales is about is building a relationship with people. So it, when you're following up with people too frequently, and all you're saying is, what about your house? What about your house? It's like they're not going to want to talk to you. So um, yeah, house doesn't change very much between calls. Exactly. So yeah. um, weekly, but if if you haven't got a hold of them, you should be calling them two to three times a day. Uh, and then Chris John Baptiste wants to know how you feel about PropStream. Um. I haven't really used it that much, to be honest. So yeah. I don't know. So this is an interesting question uh, from Matt: Is what list are you texting to send so many texts a month? Because I imagine you're texting everybody. Yeah. So exactly. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I, I pulled your normal list, like your pre foreclosures, probates, divorce, eviction, all that stuff. But um, you'll you'll blow through that in a half hour, you know, when you're not really, but you get what I'm saying, really yeah. quickly. So I, I I just got to the point where I realized very quickly, I'm like, if I just stay at this pace. Data and skip tracing is going to be outrageously expensive. So I just went and I got a, a disc from the county with every single parcel. And then basically I, I took that and bought a, built a scraper that pulled all the data from the county with because all it had was basically parcel numbers, scraped all the data from the county and just made my own mass master list um, that I didn't want to rely on title companies and everything. I wanted it fresh and new and know where it came from. So I did that and then I refined it all down to the properties that I would know that we could make a deal with square footage property type and then from there i took all that data because if you have an excel sheet that big like when you open it literally it's like it a loading a bar on the bottom it's like that's when you know you got a good excel or a big excel file yeah and so i took that and i put it in a microsoft access database and then i made a uh, um i made a macro that pulls from that database yeah so i'll have like lists that are built like product type single story, this year built, whatever, like stuff that I know is probably distressed or that I like. And I'll just run those generally constantly. So there's a trickle of lead flows. And then the the laborers in pulling those up, skip pulling from the database, the pre-foreclosures, all that stuff. Those are the ones that I'll run through a lot more. And mm -hmm. th so there's a big list running and then there's a little list going boom, 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 boom for the, the motivated ones. Yeah. So I just tracking it. all that when it comes into your CRM. You sound a lot like Jared right now. <laughs> Thanks. That's... <laughs> That. No, I'm just kidding. Jared's a good guy. Jared helped me a lot in the beginning, actually, when we didn't even know each other. I I owe a lot to him because, I mean, I I knew what I was doing in the, on the like value, all the other components of the business, but I had never done any marketing. And this guy opened up to me and like would just share so much with me, and it it just made me do the same thing with everybody in my marketplace. I'm like. That, that was awesome. Like I relied on, like he would help me so much just for no benefit of his at all, just to, to talk to. Yeah. Well, he probably enjoys having someone else that can't understand what he's mm -hmm. saying. <laughs> <laughs> Very few people do. Yeah. Love that guy. Yeah, uh, guy. So, you know, overall running your business now, what is your monthly overhead today? Um, marketing, I just chopped it really hard. So let's not even count about this last month or week, whatever, but usually somewhere between 18 and 25,000 for marketing. Um, and then everything all in all is maybe in, it, it varies, but 40 to 50 with, with commissions and everything. Yeah. All right. With commission and marketing is, is around 40, 50. 
Cool. What is your superpower? Um, my superpower um, is I'm when I find something new, I'm obsessed with it. And I will not stop until I know it inside out. Not every little detail, but the things that matter, I'll figure it out really quick, what matters and what doesn't. Um, so just becoming obsessed with it. I just always remind myself, like, I'm, I'm obsessed with learning. If you're not green, you, or if, you're, if you're green, you grow. If you're ripe, you rot. So mm -hmm. I always remember that and, and anything new, marketing channels, whatever, I obsess over them. So that's what I would say my superpower. That's awesome. You ever taken the Colby test? Uh, I haven't ever. No, yeah. I just took my first uh, P or PI. Right? PI. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one of the things in there is Fact Finder, mm -hmm. and that's the guy that's gonna go deep, right? He's not gonna understand it like on a shallow level. Like he's gonna go really deep on it, and that's just uh, was one of those things where I'm was one of my strengths. Uh, what is your biggest struggle right now? Biggest struggle. Um, it's just constantly seems to be, well, uh, it's, it's without a doubt, it's time management because when you have a small team and everybody's doing so, so many different things, um, it's, you, you just lose track of the day and, you know, before I'm like, I can't believe it's seven o'clock, you know, and then I go home and eat dinner and like hang out from it. And I, and my, my uh, wife is a nurse, so she wakes up really early. So she, we go to bed and I'm just in bed working, catching up. So I just, Time management is my weakness, but probably delegation. You know, I'm, I'm very bad at delegating things. I just want to do it myself. Or even when I do delegate it, like I just can't let myself want to just do it again myself a lot right. of the time. So I more importantly, just don't even want to know what they're doing. Cause if they tell me, I'll just jump in. So I totally understand that. Is there a book you've gifted more than any other? Um, I haven't gifted a lot of books. I mean, there's a ton of great real estate books, but um, one book that I really enjoy um, reading or again and again and again is The Laws of Human Nature. Um, it's just a, I just like listening to like the mentality of people over time. It's just a great book, Laws of Human Nature. Gonna have to check that one out. Uh, last question, Steve Nash is, my processes, my processes are so weak. How can I develop better processes? Um, if you're not a, if you're not a process guy, you're never going to, so you got to hire somebody to yeah. do it, but you got to understand what you need done and then show them or find, there's a lot of people in our industry that understand processes and contact them and they'll see the holes in your organization in two seconds. They probably all have it written out and everything ready to go. So <laughs> hire somebody just if, it's, if you're not good at it. Yeah. There's uh, Gary Harper with Sharper Solutions, you know, probably yep. if you could afford that, that's great. If you can't, um, you know, send me a message, Steve. I've got uh, a buddy, Matt Larson, who's a master. Yeah, Matt uh, was at, a, at your mastermind. Matt was telling me about how, or telling everybody about how he got his workload down to like no hours a week, and his revenue or his his profitability went up because it trimmed the fat. Because yeah. they put it was it was just really interesting. I'd like to pick his brain on that a little more. Yeah. Yep. All right. So I'm gonna let you think about an announcement you want to make while okay. I make a few quick announcements. Um, so our workshop as of today. It's a month from it's a month from now. As of this moment, it's still ongoing. If you guys want to check it out, go to disruptors.com. Um, you can reach out to me. Uh, you know, I'll let you know if it's still happening or not. But at this exact moment, it's still happening. Uh, so if you guys want to double your business, reach out, uh, check it out. And the things that we got from it is people really appreciated the transparency, level of detail that we dive into each topic. Like I said earlier, you know, I'm I'm a nerd. I'm gonna go really deep on a topic. And so if you guys are interested in, in that, check it out. Uh, right now we've got on deck Lauren Hardy. She's going to be talking about virtual wholesaling, which I think is extremely relevant. 
but I need to confirm with Lauren that she's actually still coming. <laughs> so, you know, guys, everyone, please just bear with me. You know, every, everything is live in studio, so there might be some uh, quiet weeks. Well, we're going to have to play this one day by day, hour by hour. So just uh, stay tuned. Make sure you're in the Real Estate Disruptors Facebook group. I'll be making more announcements there. So last thoughts. Uh, last thoughts. Um, I think, again, a lot of the people watching are probably on the more on the, the side of just starting or they have a business and they haven't totally um, scaled up. Um, I would say don't follow the trend of massive business with massive so many markets because I mean, I know a lot of people doing that. Um, get really good in your market first. Get really good. And I know I've seen heard other people say that at specific marketing channels, but before you focus anything on marketing at all, like there's a lot of guys that spend little to no money on marketing and crush it because they're good at sales. Yeah. So focus on sales and um, sales and follow up. That's the number one thing you should focus on. And then aside from that too is is there's you know there's no perfect list. There's no secret perfect list. There's no system that's going to make your business this or that. Like just go. Like take just take action. Shoot first, aim later. That's like the number one thing. The, the speed to market will always dominate. So right. focus on just taking action and just fail and fail and fail. Don't be foolish and like, oh, I'm going to fail, fail, fail. I have 100 grand. I'm going to spend 20 grand a month on PPC. Don't do that. That's no. not what I'm saying. Be smart, but don't be afraid. Just take action and figure right. out what works and doesn't. Because And, and then final thing would probably be because um, – Focusing on like your resources around you is is my peers or, or whatever that's gonna be that's gonna be your greatest resources the other people in your business to collaborate with so yeah. focus on that yeah I think so finding someone you know something that Pace and Jamil have been saying you know squad up but finding someone that's yeah, at your level that you can partner with create a relationship with someone to bounce ideas off of you know we're very fortunate we've got to we got to um, uh, share our thoughts you know compare notes with some of the best people uh, in the country yep. Uh, but, you know, wherever you are right now, there's other people in that same circle. Collaborate with them. Mm -hmm. Improve the squad. Yep. Find somebody who's doing more than you and improve their situation. They'll help you, too. And pay Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Thank you for coming. You're welcome. Thank you guys for watching. I appreciate it. Yeah. See, we real estate disruptors. Disruptors.